that insulin spike. At a certain point, we start to activate a process in the body called lipogenesis. Now, lipo means fat, genesis means to make. So with an insulin spike, at a certain point, your body needs to get that sugar down quicker than the insulin can keep up. So lipogenesis is activated. When lipogenesis is activated, you'll start making things like fat and it'll be dispersed around your tummy, which is one of the main reasons why women with PCOS have belly fat. Welcome to Hormones with Sam your guide through the confusing world of hormone health. I'm your host, Sambo Patrick, here to help you demystify and unlock the secrets to living a vibrant, happy life. Together, let's make hormones fun and sexy. Today, we're going to be discussing a very common disease or condition called polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. Now, the name's a little bit misleading. The name refers to cysts on your ovaries, many of them, and a syndrome. And a syndrome simply means lots of symptoms that are clustered together. Interesting with PCO, not everyone has cysts on their ovaries. And you might have worked out just from that little introduction that this is a condition that affects women, not men, because it's a condition that affects the ovaries. But it doesn't just affect the ovaries. In fact, as time's gone on, we've started to consider this more a metabolic issue, an issue that's affecting all your hormones in the body. And I'm going to break down and explain to you why that's the case. Now, current statistics say it's three in 10, four in 10 women in Australia. So this is 2024. I suspect the numbers are a lot higher than that. And that's because people haven't well, they might not have cysts on their ovaries and doctors might be going off a old rating system, which was one of the criteria that you needed to have before you could get the diagnosis. Many moons ago, back in 2009, 2010, I wrote a book on this condition and that's because I discovered that I had it uh, a little bit awkwardly after a dinner party that I had one night. And if you haven't heard that story, go back to episode one where I explained where a really happy, should have been a happy night just before Christmas, resulted in me leaving a marriage with two children. Now, some of the key features of PCO, which I'll discuss, are rage. And at the time that I was going through this at this dinner party, which was just a fleeting second in my life that changed the course of my life, I had no explanation for that moment at all. What it actually led me to was six months of this soul-searching journey health journey, going to medical professionals, saying, I, this is what happened. I don't know why it happened. I can't lose my little bit of belly fat. I've got some whiskers that I'm not really happy with. And I had this moment of rage. Can you help me? And they were like, mm, no, you're probably depressed. Here, take some antidepressants. Or let's put you on the pill. Or, or we don't know. Or we don't know. Or we don't know. So there's a lot of we don't knows. There's, you know, maybe it's in your head. Rather than helping me understand the hormone cacophony and imbalances that were going on inside my body. It was at that point, about six months in, I had three staff and, sorry, five staff, three different clinics, that I decided to do a saliva test. Now that saliva test changed my life because hormones, you see, hormones can be measured many ways in your body, through blood, through urine. Uh, I prefer to do saliva because it gives very accurate information and what it demonstrated to me was that my male hormone or my androgen, testosterone, was very high. And that's the key feature of POCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome is this phenomena where women have high male hormone or high androgen. The syndrome part is where all the symptoms of that occur and the signs and things we can look for. Now, I wrote a book because 
through my journey, I realised that not many people were picking it up and certainly the help for it was not there at all. The book's called Beauty and the Beast Within and very quickly it became a bestseller. From there I was on TV quite a lot and interviewed in Australia and overseas because I was talking about this hormone in women, testosterone, not being a sex hormone and it's always been categorised as a female sex hormone. In fact, I, I categorise it as a stress hormone because when women are stressed, that hormone goes up. And when you see it from that perspective, you can help the woman a lot more with understanding of what drives up stress, why she's experiencing that. And sure, a lot of it might be in our head because we get stressed over things that aren't life-threatening, but how to manage that through stress management, relaxation techniques, breathing and exercise and even foods. So as I said, it's a very common issue that affects four in 10, maybe five in 10 women. It's the leading cause of infertility where there's no mechanical issues. So mechanical issues might be adhesions or you're missing fallopian tubes or there's been trauma or chemotherapy. Otherwise, 75%, so a large percentage of women who are failing to conceive naturally have this phenomena that I'm talking about. It's a massive issue. It's affecting lots of young women and particularly in their fertile years. I re renamed it in my book, Beauty and the Beast Within, to Female Hormone Disorder, so FHD, because it explained a lot more about the symptoms because you might not have the cysts and if your medical prof professional is still looking for cysts as a key diagnostic tool and there aren't cysts, you're not going to get the diagnosis, which may or may not be a bad thing, but it's not going to help you. Um, and I've even got a checklist in my book so you can go through it and go, I've got this, this, this and this and there's a little rating scale and I know with a pretty high degree of certainty if you've got these cluster of sim um, symptoms that you probably have that high androgen and you can confirm it with a saliva test. Now, what happens apart from the high testosterone, which is a stress hormone, is the women often end up with high cortisol, another stress hormone. So the high testosterone and cortisol create a, a mix in the body. So we get these symptoms and I'm going to explain them why they occur. Now, high testosterone and both cortisol will push up insulin. When insulin is elevated in the body, we get things like belly fat. We can get things like cysts developing on our ovaries where follicles fail to hatch. So you can see why, and if you've got this syndrome, you'll often be told that it's a uh, metabolic or a insulin problem. Uh, the, the current treatment is actually diabetic medication. I won't name the names, but there's a couple of oral tablets that girls are often started on to resensitise the insulin because it's recognised that that's the problem creating the cysts. If we go a step before that, what's creating the insulin problem is the high stress, the high testosterone and the high cortisol. Girls with high PCO often struggle to relax and it was certainly one of my key features. I would buzz around all day, sometimes feeling you know, more important than I was, I guess, um, but failing at night to switch off, take the work hat off, sit down and be able to sit comfortably in the space of the evening and just do nothing. I even found having coffees on the weekend a bit arduous because what, I have to sit down here and talk small talk. I was like, go, 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 I've got stuff to do, do, do. And that's one of the key features of um, polycystic ovary syndrome. Now, periods may stop or periods will get longer 
or they might be normal. So periods are not a really accurate measurement or uh, in- indicator of what's happening inside your body when it comes to, let's call it female hormone disorder or PCO. I'll call them both. Sometimes women will have problems falling pregnant. As I said, it's the leading cause of um, need for IVF or fertility intervention in Australia at the moment, in the States, in developed countries, UK, United Emirates. It's the main cause. But for many women who have this phenomena, the high androgens, they fall pregnant quite easily. It can be an indicator, though, if you've had periods and they suddenly stop. That no period phenomena uh, and ovulation is a bit of an indicator that testosterone is probably too high and it's switched off your ovaries from releasing an egg or there are cysts developing there. Now, if you can imagine you're female um, and you're starting to morph into a man because you've got all this male hormone circulating around, other things are thinning hair on top. So you get this male pattern baldness. I've had plenty of women come to me over the years saying my hair's falling out or they've got the, the thinning at the cap here at the crown and plenty of hair salons, uh, hair interventionists, I'm sure, are making lots of money and um, treating this phenomena through hair products. Once again, managing stress, lowering the testosterone, lowering the cortisol are the life-changing ways to manage it. Moving down the face, very common girls will have a wider jaw. Um, if you look at athletes or, you know, even me, I've got slightly more chiseled jaw, um, the girls tend to use their uh, cheek muscles a bit more so that we are defined, um, you know, they clench, you'll see that they've got this um, square jaw. Whiskers, so guys have whiskers, girls make hair, but we don't generally make whiskers. So any whisker growth on your face or any unwanted hair on nipples or belly is often an indicator that your androgens are too high. Some girls will get hair on their back and can develop what's called a dowdle hump, so they'll hunch forward. That's in a real classic PCO image. The androgens will um, create extra sebum at the hair follicle. So acne is one of the key features of PCO. And girls, they're um, athletes or um, eating certain foods, they might suffer with um, acne that's not resolved any other way and PCO or FHD will be the underlying cause. The psychological things I was talking about before, this inability to relax, one of the key features I guess I that led me to discovering that I had it was that I had that moment of rage. Now when, um, so I had five staff and we had three clinics and lots of uh, clients coming to us, patients, and we started asking them, and this is to women, do you feel angry? And it was really interesting, the response. Women don't like admitting that they get angry, and that's what we discovered. But they'll tell you that they get beep, shitty. Um, They got irritable. They had a short fuse. They found that they couldn't relax. They weren't depressed necessarily, but they did find that achieving happiness and feeling content was um, really difficult to do. They found that when they were going to barbecues and social engagements that they really couldn't just land in the moment and feel that incredible joy of being present. One maybe positive is that they um, often have increased sex drive if they're not too tired and burnt out. Uh, Now, what's the impact on fertility and menstrual health? As I mentioned before, it's the leading cause of infertility in developed countries, and that's because most girls are working, studying, this high degree of stress that wasn't there 40, 50 years ago. The periods may be shorter, longer, non-existent or heavier. 
Let's look at some of the ways you can manage this from home and some of the biohacks. Now, because it is a phenomena when you've got high testosterone, high cortisol, that your insulin will also be elevated slightly, it's really important that we don't bombard the body with lots of simple carbohydrates. So simple, there's only three food groups. There's carbohydrates, which are sugars, there's proteins and fats. That's it, there's three. Now, within the sugar group, you might have heard the glycemic index, which refers to how quickly the sugar is liberated out of that food and absorbed into the bloodstream. The quicker that occurs, the more dramatic and rapid the insulin rise in the body, the more uh, insulin is secreted. Now, at that point, we call it an insulin spike. An insulin spike is really diabolical because over time of doing this to your body and insulin going up and down, up and down, the pancreas can wear out. So we do know that with PCO and female hormone disorder, that insulin's inherently related and the foods you eat, the carbohydrates that you eat, are a really important part of the strategy of managing it. A couple of things I'd suggest here. Try eating more frequently. So rather than letting your blood sugar spike up and drop down and spike up and drop down, because when it goes high, you start to make fat. And when it drops down, you start to also slow your metabolism down. And I want to talk about these two phenomena because... I know when you understand this that you'll understand what's driving this in you, which is a you know, sugar issue, a stress hormone issue. Now, when our blood sugar goes up and we can measure our, our, the, how much sugar is in your bloodstream through doing a finger prick test and uh, just putting it on a little piece of blotting paper and ideally in Australia, it's different parameters around the world, but in Australia, ideally we're after it being 3.5 to 7 millimoles a litre. Now, if it starts to go up anywhere from 6.5 and might go up to 8 if you're getting an insulin spike or if you've just had a, um, a fruit bowl um, and some alcohol or some bread, uh, some cakes, some muffins, all those sugar-rich foods and your blood sugar levels start to go up and spike, insulin will be released. Now, at that point, you might feel quite jittery because you've got all this sugar circulating in your bloodstream. It can make our brain also quite scrambled. And I don't know if you've noticed people on a sugar high, but they're almost like they've got ADHD. They're bouncing around the place. They're really struggling to focus on one thought and see it through to completion. It can affect long-term the back of our eyes and diabetes certainly is a major issue in developed countries and damages a lot of organs such as the kidneys, the eyes, um, and the, the inner lining of the blood vessels. With that insulin spike, at a certain point, we start to activate a process in the body called lipogenesis. Now, lipo means fat, genesis means to make. So with an insulin spike, at a certain point, your body needs to get that insulin down, sorry, the, the sugar down quicker than the insulin can keep up. So lipogenesis is activated. When lipogenesis is activated, you'll start making things like fat and it'll be dispersed around your tummy which is one of the main reasons why women with PCOS have belly fat. Cortisol is the other reason. Now, avoiding that insulin spike is critical. When insulin drops, sorry, when our blood sugar levels drop down, so insulin's been effective or you've activated the lipogenesis process and there's not as much sugar in the bloodstream, glucagon, another hormone, will be released and it'll start releasing it from stored 
stores such as your liver, your spleen or muscles. But if you haven't got any sugar there or if it needs it really quickly, your blood sugar might dip a little bit. Now this is a really common phenomena I see in the office space, a drop in blood sugar levels. And this is how it might feel and look. You might feel a little bit sleepy, a little bit like vague. People ask you questions and you'll be word searching. You can't just find it because you're like in a coma almost. You might get the shakes. You might get a headache. You might get spots in your eyes like you're about to pass out. And that's because your blood sugar level has plummeted so low that at that point you need some extra glycogen to be released or you need to go and eat some more sugar. Now at that point the body will preserve and slow the system down so you, you know, it goes into preservation mode, it goes into starvation mode. It's really hard to lose weight when your body's dropping down in blood sugar because it won't do that. It's going to hang on to everything. It also starts craving sugar-rich foods because at a very physiological level it knows that you need more sugars. So you'll start seeking things out like an extra glass of wine or some chocolate or something from the vending machine if you're at work or a soft drink or anything that's sugar rich because your body knows unconsciously that that's going to help the blood sugar level rise again. Now you can see already from what I've explained this seesawing of blood sugars is not great for weight gain. You will gain weight you're going to feel revolting, <laughs> like feeling high on sugar is not a nice feeling. It's very disconcerting, creates anxiety, you can't focus and you're starting to make fat. And also at the lower levels, you're feeling like, you know, someone's just knocked you on the head or you've got um, a dippy blood sugar. So it's important to avoid carbs on their own, try and match them with proteins and that'll give you a nicer swing in between. It used to be, um, there was a diet plan years ago called zone eating. And that was about keeping your blood sugar levels in the zone. So you can add in more protein to avoid those insulin swings. You can eat every two to three hours and that should stop the ups and downs. And that means after a main meal at night, you might want a little snack before you go to bed, which might be a little handful of nuts and half a piece of fruit. And it's just enough to keep your blood sugar even overnight. I also, while we're on food, recommend not eating while you're stressed because when you're stressed and you're releasing extra testosterone and extra cortisol, your insulin level's already starting in a spiked position. So try to step back before you eat and hopefully you know, you're enjoying cooking from home and you're enjoying your food prep. Make sure that your brain is off, that you've maybe done some deep breathing and brought yourself in to focus on your food and be really relaxed before you start eating. Bring those stress hormones down so your insulin is down. And then you should start to avoid gaining weight and starting to avoid these cysts developing on your ovaries and managing the uh, polycystic ovary or the high androgen female hormone disorder. Exercise and lifestyle are critical to this condition. And I might have already described you already, but generally these girls are go, go, go. They're high achievers, they're fairly competitive and in fact in my book when I broke down the archetypes or the, the types of people who end up with the types of women who end up with this condition, I found that there was four categories. There were highly competitive career driven women. There were women who were working alongside men in jobs such as you know barristers at the, at the bar or even banking but certainly your frontline services like police force, fireys, ambos, 
um, Defence Force. We're working alongside men and there was an adaptive phenomena that goes on because, let's face it, if you're on the front line, you can't cry. You need to pull your socks up, buckle down, and you need high testosterone to survive in that environment. Girls that have a lot of sugar and carb-rich diets may also suffer with PCO. And the fourth group are athletes. So girls who are very competitive and they're focused on the finishing line and they're like, you know, they don't want to be slowed down and nurturing having babies. They want to win and gold medals are everything. So they were the four archetypes. Now you might have all four of those. You might be an elite athlete who's working in her own business who um, on the side and, uh, you know, you can have a range of those things going on. But those are the causes and the reasons why I discovered that women put their androgen levels up and their testosterone up and their stress hormone cortisol. Exercise is an important part of the strategy for managing PCO and FHD simply because these girls are go-getters, you know, and if they go from as soon as they wake, they've got stuff to do, they've got, you know, um, impact on this beautiful day to create and they might go to work, they may not, but it's all go, go, go. And if they come from that environment, you know, being in fourth gear or even fifth and sixth gear that these girls can make to a home environment can be an abrupt and rapid change to their day. Circumventing that with some exercise, a gentle walk. Meditation might be really hard to master at that point in the day. So exercise is really good. Just downshifting so you're not in those fast gears all the time and just bringing the gearbox down into home where you can operate at a two or a three gear um, it will make a massive difference rather than trying to go all day and then fall into a sleep. Very difficult to do. So exercise first thing in the morning, later in the day, during the day, any time is fantastic. Stress and sugar management, as I mentioned before, is critical. So not eating when your brain is on is a must. If you are working and you find that you've got a really high pressure job, it's important to take 10 minutes out to walk away from work, to let your brain switch down so the testosterone and cortisol can come down a little bit so you're not going to get a massive insulin spike. It takes at least 10 minutes for that transition to occur. So when I've done talks over the years, what I've suggested to people is to get up, leave their desk, go across the road or walk around the block come back and then eat. Now, I'm often met with, uh, particularly from girls who've got PCO, I'm too busy, I don't have time to stop. Like, well, you can keep suffering with the symptoms. You can keep putting up with your belly fat. If you don't want to, then start changing some of the things that you're doing and the way you're setting up your work. It's totally up to you and it's just an invitation to manage this much better. Now, down activities such as meditation and yoga uh, are often met with resistance because girls with PCO tell you, oh, I can't sit there and relax or, you know, I go to yoga and my mind's just going... It's more important for these girls than anyone else to start rehearsing and practising these types of activities. Now, I call them down activities. Up activities would be things like boxing and spin classes and um, boot camp and dragging tyres and, you know, real mud wrestling sort of stuff. Whereas the down activity, which girls with this condition will struggle with, are where we're going to get the relaxing and those uh, beautiful stress hormones coming down. So things like yoga, tai chi, uh, bushwalking, swimming, you might want to mix it up. I'm trying some Zumba tonight to see how we go with that. Any activity that's um, a mixture, high activity and low activity. 
lot of girls who end up with this condition are bodybuilders or love the gym. And that's fantastic. But also be mindful that if this is happening in your body, the way to combat that is outside of the gym to embrace more feminine things. Now, in my book, I call it refeminizing. And this isn't to annoy anyone or antagonize them. But feminine activities involve us stepping into our feminine space, not being wedged in our masculine space the whole time. Now, guys that I speak to will tell me that the thing they love about women is their femininity. They've got the masculine stuff covered. And whilst they love having a playmate that's blokey and masculine, they also enjoy their partner or their their friends being feminine. Now, when I first wrote this, because I was a bit of a tomboy and you might be as well, I found it really difficult to embrace this part So I, I felt it was a weakness. I thought that having, you know, um, ponytails or longer hair or wearing dresses meant that I was weaker as a woman. But what I discovered is that when you wear a dress, you drop your masculine space and you step into a more feminine uh, role and those male hormones will drop. I did a study on this years ago and uh, it was fantastic. I asked girls, do you feel more feminine when you wear a dress? 100% said yes. I also was speaking on a circuit around Australia on weight um, weight loss and it was the, I was presenting at weight loss seminars and uh, plenty of PTs would come to each seminar, you know, 30 to 50 in the room and I asked them to experiment with their people who were um, had issues losing belly fat to get them to wear a dress and to do what I called refeminize and see if they would lose more weight. And it was outstanding. Women lost more weight when they stepped into their feminine role and they let their testosterone drop down. So if you've got PCO, it's one of the best strategies you can do for starting to manage that little belly fat is to step into your feminine space and refeminize yourself doesn't have to be all the time. And I understand in the boardroom, you're hustling with guys, you've got to man up, but any opportunity you can, maybe just step it down a little bit, step back and not be ashamed to be a woman, be proud of it. I did want to talk about a couple of supplements that you can look at. Now, this is general information only, and I recommend seeing a healthcare professional or reading my book or getting additional information before you start any supplement because I don't know if you've ever been to a health food shop, but you can go in and go, I need that, 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 before you know you've got 20 things. But here's some really important ones. The way testosterone and insulin work at the cell wall, they both compete to do their job testosterone to get itself into the cell and cortisol, sorry, insulin to get the sugar into the cell. They go through the same doorway. Now, that doorway needs something called inositol. It used to be called vitamin B7. Now, you can get that pure or you can get it with supplements. I'm also a fan of chromium, once again, because that helps sensitise insulin and magnesium. It's one of the best minerals that we have access to and unfortunately uh, is often low in soils due to the way we've been uh, growing our fresh produce. B6 and zinc are very important for testosterone production and stopping something called aromatisation. Now, with emotional and mental health, as I was mentioning before, try and embrace dropping down the gears when you come home from work so you're not going from stress, 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 trying to sleep. Try and bring it down a little bit. Look into meditation. Look into deep breathing and embrace that as much as you're going to embrace your beautiful feminine self. Now, I might have touched on some things that um, are very triggering for you and I appreciate that. I would um, suggest or invite you to reach out to people for emotional support. 
be cautious of, you know, social media, people who've gone through this, who don't have any qualifications, who might be, you know, carrying a huge following, but might not be able to give you meaningful things. You're welcome to follow this podcast. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a five-star review and share it with your girlfriends, because I know this information works and I know it'll be able to help you too, even if you just introduce a couple of the biohacks that I've recommended today.